ringmaster of the circus, the captain of the pirate ship. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the podcast. I am Chris Cash from Mount Phillip Metalworks, joined by my co-host Roy Scott from Vintage Axe Works. And we have a very, very special guest with us today, the owner, the creator of Evaporus, Mr. David Harris. How are you? Wonderful. How are you today? Fantastic. Fantastic. Good, good, good. Roy, you good? Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. All right. (laughs) Roy. Roy's about half good. (laughs) yeah thank you very much for coming on and um we have a bunch of questions that we want to get to but first we want to start out with how evaporus became what it is today like how you created it what's your background how how you formulated it all that stuff well it uh i graduated with a degree in chemistry from a small baptist college down in south arkansas in uh, in 1990, which is when the uh, uh, Bush recession was going on, and nobody could find jobs. We had, I mean, the first job I went to work for, I think I was making like $17,000 a year. I mean, it was. I had friends flipping burgers. There was nothing to do in Arkansas. No and, kidding. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna say shocker here. Um, yeah, <laughs> it was not a good. You know, you you promise that you're going to make all this, you know, get a degree and all that, and then nothing happened. And so, right, we, uh, my family were Dust Bowl people. They had, we had family in California, and they went back and forth, back in the in the 30s and 40s and 50s. And uh, so we had family out in California. So we just loaded up, and went to California, and uh, hoping to find a job out there, and um, stayed with relatives. Your whole entire family packed up and went. No, to uh, no, it was just me and my wife. Oh, okay. We okay, okay. Loaded up with one car with a couple of bags and off we went, and uh, applied for jobs here and there, and and uh, got a job working as a uh, quality control manager in a company that manufactured custom chemicals for people. So if you had chemicals that you made in the United States on the East Coast and you wanted to sell them on the West Coast, it was a whole lot easier to make them on the West Coast than it is to ship them all the way across. Ah. Mm, okay. So they made a lot of weird chemicals, all different kinds, and, and I just did the quality control for them. And, um, but their chemist was gone. And one day the owner walked in and he said, hey, I need this chemical made. And he said, can you run that machine right there? Which at the time was a very expensive, it was, it's called an FTIR, uh, Fourier Transform Infrared Spectrometer. You're going to have to talk really yeah, slow with Chris. We have, yeah, <laughs> we actually have one of those in the shop. I was just seeing it this morning, yeah. Good to yeah. good <laughs> uh, This guy had gone out and spent a ton on this machine, and then his chemist left, so he didn't have anybody to run it. And he goes, can you run that thing? I, I said, yeah, I can run it. He goes, well, take this is his level of chemistry. He handed me a bottle full of blue liquid and goes, take that machine and make this. I was like, okay. <laughs> well, seriously. Right. Wow. Right. So I did, and it took me about two or three days and I jacked with it and, 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 uh, came up with something and he took it out and, and he came back and he goes, man, that was great. You sold it. It was perfect. You're my new R and D chemist. I had no, wow. idea. yeah, just had, like that, just like that. But I, they had a, an old chemist on staff and he kind of took me under his wing and taught me how to do a lot of stuff. And so that's what I did the first part of my career. I, I would take, 
chemicals that people wanted to sell to somebody, but they didn't have a formula. And I would break it down and reformulate it, and then they would take it out and go sell it. You know, everything from hair shampoo to plating chemicals to dog wash. I mean, you, you name it, I made Interesting. It. Wow, that was my next question. What kind of chemicals we're talking? That's crazy. All it sounds like some Walter White stuff going on here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Sorry, go ahead. But we... Uh, so after a while, we got tired of L.A., and, we, and I had this great idea. I could do the same thing in Arkansas because nobody was doing that in Arkansas. I knew for a fact. Right. And, uh, so I came back and uh, found out that there's a reason they weren't doing it, and that was there were no customers. And, okay. Uh, so it, it failed spectacularly. And uh, <laughs> So what, what, what year was this that you went back to Arkansas? 93, 94, somewhere okay. in there. Okay, and then yeah. you failed. Failed, yeah, failed spectacularly. It was bad, but uh, I went to work for. I found a company that hired me on, and I, I basically ran the whole thing for them. And eventually made my way to Northwest Arkansas, and was working here uh, for a company that uh, made all kinds of transportation and industrial chemicals. And uh, I did uh, the research and development for them. And at the time, I had a in 1996 seven or six somewhere in there a guy came in and said he wanted a product that would prevent rust from occurring because they had the customer had a bunch of metal they didn't want it to rust blah blah whatever and okay. so I went and uh, I started work on it and uh, I had a whole bunch of metal tabs and uh, I would I you know used traditional methods and then I kind of cooked up some stuff on my own and then the last piece I had had rust on it. And I thought, well, I'll just try something that I've whipped up. And I painted it on there. And I went off and forgot about it. Came back in about a month. And a lot of those pieces were rusty and crappy. But the one that had had rust on it, the rust was gone. And I thought, well, what happened here? And so I, I, uh, I looked at it and I went back and looked at my notes. And from that, I made a product that would remove rust. But... It, pH neutral it wasn't like any other kind of rust remover that was out there, but it had to be heated to 165 degrees before it would do anything. So it had absolutely no value. I mean, nobody's going to have a right tank. I mean, it just it was worthless. But the base chemical was so interesting, and and the the way that it functioned was so interesting that I kept it around. And you know, every, any chemist like me has got about five or six projects that boy, if it work. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, and you shelve it and you pull it out and you play with it and you shelve it and you pull it out. And this was one of those. And so uh, you're like the whole time you're doing this, this process, it's all a gamble. Oh, yeah. I yeah. mean, you're, t you're totally gambling. And you said the one that worked, you left for a month. Is that common to leave something for a month? Like when you're trying to test something and figure it out was a month like your time frame or you literally just forgot about it? Well, it was kind of both. It wasn't a big project and it was a... Uh, when you're doing something to determine whether or not it's going to rust or not, at that time, my laboratory wasn't set up for rust testing, quick rust okay. testing. Mm -hmm. Rust forms kind of slow. So, you know, a month was, I went back there and just was checking it. And it was, most of them were crap, so I threw them away. But uh, this one in particular was was different. And there was something about it. It was like, what's, what's going on here? But in the meantime, the owner of the company, uh, was a little short fat man and, uh, <laughs> okay he decided that what can he, relate 
Yeah. <laughs> I was waiting for it. I was waiting for it. What he really needed to, was because uh, he was recently divorced and he was going to get skinny. So he went and he got his uh, stomach. <laughs> and uh, okay. to quit drinking. And he decided that that was way too much to ask. So he kept on drinking and he became a raging alcoholic. And I mean, like mm-hmm. six months. Dude wow. Got five DWIs in six months. Oh my goodness! Oh yeah, he was he was setting his alarm to get up and drink. I mean, it was what? Oh yeah, he's impressive. Impressive. But he uh, he uh, eventually the company went under because they could just couldn't sustain his his shenanigans. And right, they came in. They told us, you know, look, your company the company shut down. You don't have a job. I had a wife, a stay at home wife two kids and credit cards to pay. And I was like, Oh man, what do I do here? And I thought, you know, I can do one of two things. I can go get a job or I can try to make my own company. And if I fail, I'll have to go get a job. So basically it's the same thing. I'll just try. So, you know, and, and my motto early on was, well, tomorrow we'll probably be out of business, but today let's just, let's just make it through today and see what happens. Wow. Yeah. I did that. That was 1997. And uh, the really good thing that, that helped the most was the invention of the internet. It was early internet. People didn't, and most of the people did not know how to use the internet. They didn't understand the internet. But I I learned from a guy how to do all the internet stuff and to talk. And, and a lot of my cust- original customers were international customers because we could email and they were just really excited to be able to talk to somebody in the United States. Right. So at this point, what is, what are your primary products that you're selling? They were industrial chemicals. Um, okay. They were chemicals that I had developed and uh, I had dealt with the customers. And so I just found companies that would make them for me. And then we would, I would just sell them that way. Okay. And, it was going pretty good, uh, and but I kept pulling that rust remover out, and messing with it, messing with it, and uh, finally I said, you know, there's something here, and I'm gonna. I took six months off, and I said I am going to make figure out what this is doing, and how it's working, and and I'm gonna see if I can't make it work at room temperature, and so I did, and uh, it was about three months into it, I determined what it was doing, how it was functioning. And was able to adjust it, and I made two or three adjustments, and it just came on like a light bulb. It was, it was something else. I mean, it was, it was really cool from a standpoint of I was sitting there looking at something that I'd done that no human in the history of humanity had done. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was an invention. I'm actually yeah. alive. I mean, it wasn't an improvement on somebody's. This was something nobody'd ever done. So that's like, that's a really inspiring thing to go from like, you're going to fail or you're going to, you're going to survive. And then you're going to go take six months off shortly after that and figure this formula out, which ended up taking you three months. Now, when you say nobody else had created it, do you mean from the, um, from the standpoint of the, uh, the, the chemicals you were using to create this, or are you saying from a non acidic because surely there had been some sort of remover, but it, it was probably a very harsh chemical, I'm assuming. Yeah, I'm talking in, in the standpoint of it being uh, the way it functioned. Rest okay. Up until that point are basically like 
your navel jellies, your 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 OSPO type chemicals. They're they're mm-hmm. they're phosphoric acid with soap and a little bit of water in them. Okay. And that's what has always tradi- that's the traditional rust remover since the 40s or 50s. Right. Uh, sometimes they use worse acids. You know they'll use hydrochloric or sulfuric acid, but either way, it, it's a dangerous chemical and it's it's right not something that you want to uh, have in your house for sure. Um, so you set out to make something non-toxic, non-harming, you know, not dangerous. That's that was your main goal. I think really my my the what happened was what I discovered happened to be those things. Okay. Okay. And because when you're actually doing research and development, trying to set out to get to an endpoint is yeah. very, very difficult because you can't change chemistry. It just does what it does or it doesn't do what it does. Right. Mm-hmm. You, finding something that has a unique behavior and then finding a use for that behavior is a lot more successful. Interesting. Okay. So this yeah. was 1997, you said, right around that time? Yep. February of 97, I started, well, that was when I started the company. When I actually determined, when EvapoRust finally (coughs) became EvapoRust, it was December of 99. Okay. First of 2000. So uh, how did did you uh, approach your customers to say, look at this thing that I bought? How do you go about doing that? I mean, from a standpoint, you're talking to two knuckleheads that have no idea how to reach a customer base like that. You said the internet was just starting. Right. Um, so did you just start pounding the pavement and going to different places where you, you thought this product would be useful? Is that how you started marketing it? Actually, we, I started with, um, you know, back in those days, people still went to trade shows mm-hmm. uh, and they read magazines. Yeah. And there were magazines geared toward people who did industrial maintenance uh, people who did, uh, you know, process engineers who dealt with this kind of product. And so we loaded up and went to one in, in Las Vegas. My wife at the time was pregnant with our third daughter and she was in the booth and we didn't know what we we're doing. We just put out a, put out a big glass, uh, beaker and yeah. filled, filled it with a vapor rust and started dropping rusty stuff in there. And about <laughs> Two hours into it, she dropped something a little hard in there, and it just shattered the glass, and the stuff went everywhere. No kidding. <laughs> oh, this yeah. is your first trade show. First, your first, first trade show. Oh we had a battle <laughs> rust everywhere, and uh, one of our earliest customers was standing right there, and he goes, well, it must be safe because his pregnant wife is covered in it, and he's <laughs> Wow. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And uh, so, but I mean, we picked up, that's what we did. We just pick up and we'd advertise in magazines aimed at those and and we sent out, people would never believe us. Uh, So we had to found out real quickly. We had to give out samples. We gave out little four ounce samples. Mm -hmm. I couldn't tell you how many we've given out in 20 years. So no kidding. So while you're getting going, are you, um, are you concurrently, um, making other chemicals, selling stuff, um, oh, just the traditional way, just moving product through the shop. Yes. But, but you can see this maybe on the horizon going, I think this, this is the real winner. You, well, you never know. I mean, of course, I mean, we were doing stuff that nobody had ever done before. I mean, you right. just don't know where that's going to go. Uh, 
people didn't, we had the hardest time getting people to believe that this kind of chemistry would work and, and you could use it and it was safe. We had to go, we had to get testing done. We had to do, we had to have third party endorsements of it. We had to get, you know, before and after pictures, send samples. It took, because nobody believed it. We had a guy at one trade show get mad at us and call <laughs> I'm serious. He he said there, there's this cannot work. He said you're doing something. I don't know what it is. I said he said I think you've got a sandblaster behind your booth. Oh yeah. my goodness. And I took him around behind. I was like, look, there is nothing back here. Yeah. This is actually this is working. And uh, uh, people people are slow to accept things they can't understand. So well, let me tell you something, Mr. Harris. That still happens to me. When yeah. I post something up about it and show how well it works, everybody says, "Now, now, it's not a post. Tell us what you really did like, to it." I'm like, "This is what I really did to it." Oh yeah, yeah. yeah they, and and a lot of people they do they have this in their mind that um, it has to be some sort of acid, it has to be something harmful. There's got to be some sort of nasty chemical in it that's removing it, and there's really not. Oh yeah. And so we, so we from the standpoint of you saying that you had one of your customers can't didn't even believe you i understand that because i still have people today that don't believe me that's <laughs> what we do we don't sell we what we have to do so yeah uh, so so during this time are you thinking of um potential industries to use it or particular end users um or it or are you thinking of it as an, an industrial scale like where where was your mind thinking that the customer base was going to go at this point during the inception? Well, I 100% believed it was strictly an industrial product. Uh, mm -hmm. We we sold it industrially. I mean, if people were making castings and forgings in China and they were bringing them into the United States, they'd go through the South China Sea, they'd get here, they'd be rusty. We'd sell a bunch of evapor rust. And, and we still do that. I mean, that's a big wow. business. No kidding. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and heat treating thing, when you know, when you uh thermally deburr parts that have been machined and they yes. come out they they rust almost instantly we we have i mean that is a large portion of our business uh still today i mean it's 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 a um it's a uh constant little thing that happens uh so and when we work for we sell it to big automotive companies we sell it to uh, tractor manufacturers we sell it to remanufacturers uh, all around the United States and really around the world. Um, but what happened to change that was in uh, about 2005 in the winter, uh, my phone rang and it was a farmer in Iowa. And he said, hey, I want to buy this product. And I go, well, what on earth? And he, and, uh, he said, uh, I want a gallon. And I said, well, we don't even make a gallon. He said, well, I want one. And uh, I said, well, how much would you pay for it? <laughs> yep. <laughs> he goes, well, I don't know. I said, how about 30 bucks? He goes, fair enough. So I had to go out and go find plastic jug and bring it back in, filled it up, put it in the mail, send it to him. Uh, we had a my paper label. We freaking put it on there with tape. And yeah. Wow, that was the very first of Apple Rust Gallon we ever sold. But no it started kidding. happening ringing my phone started ringing and ringing and more and more and i was having to go get bunches of bottles and finally i was like where where are you guys seeing this yeah mm -hmm. um, somebody had taken one of those four ounce samples that we gave out and sent it to a magazine called farm show magazine that went out to two hundred thousand farmers yeah wow 
and they for three months tore our phones up and finally i, I sat down i thought well, maybe home users would like to have a product like this maybe this is something yeah. that, that people would use and uh so we went to a uh we, we got bottles and we made these little you know bottles up and and i went to a large uh auto parts sales uh company that multiple locations and uh i went in there with a a manufacturer's rep which is a guy that assists you in selling that's how you get in to talk to them i didn't know what i was doing never been in there i mean it's a huge corporation we're we're like two people okay Uh, that's why they were able to get you on the phone (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) exactly and uh, I was in literally in half my garage. Half of my garage is where this we were at that time. I that's love awesome. it. I love yeah, it. awesome. And we went, uh, so I went in there and I didn't know how to sell these guys. I mean, they're very formal, you know, all up there. So I just said, told him about it. And then I just did a demonstration right there on his desk. I just poured it in the, in the, on the, in the bottle. And he's looking at me and he's looking at that rep, like what's going to happen next. And, and <laughs> I showed him. He's like, that's amazing. I said, yeah, I mean, this, I'm telling you, this is amazing. And, uh, he goes, well, would you sell it to us in, in this size right here for this much? I go, yeah, I don't see why not. When, uh, we walked out and that rep goes, this is the first time I've ever seen anything. I've been doing this for 30 years. I've never seen anybody walk in and basically make a sale like he's at a sale barn. <laughs> wow. No kidding. <laughs> so that is awesome. That was yeah. the start of it, and we we started from there. We learned everything we could learn the hard way. Um, but uh, you know, today we sit. I counted it up the other day. I think we're in almost twenty thousand retail stores nationwide. We're in thirty four countries. Uh, we're in uh, combined sixty thousand square foot of manufacturing. So it's wow. It's, it's been a uh, been a long arduous uh, road, but I guess. It really speaks for the power of the, the 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 chemistry. The chemistry is what's taking it where it's gone. It's right. It's just it's just a cool product. People it still has that wow factor to it. After all this time, people still pull it out and go, I can't believe this. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, so whenever I started using it, um, I I had seen other people doing stuff, um, using it on YouTube videos and and whatnot, especially automotive guys doing, you know, just restorations and whatever. Um, and the, the issue with axes is that, uh, traditionally people would use vinegar and it would eat away at the, the stamps or the etches or whatever. And I had someone tell me, I'm using air quotes here, a friend say, oh, you can't, you can't use that Evapora stuff. It'll, it'll eat away at the, the etch. And some of these etches or stamps on, on pieces, they're, they're really valuable. So I was hesitant and I, then I'll rewatch tons of videos and I was like, I, I, I'm just doing it. I'm going to try it. And whenever that first ax came out, I was completely blown away. And the only thing that I could think of was why haven't I been doing this all these years? Like, yeah. I agree. I was genuinely pissed because I had been wire wheeling my ass off for the last 10 years. <laughs> I yeah. found this yeah. product and I'm like, where was this 10 years ago? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it's yeah. pretty crazy. 
And there's a, there's, that's another thing we fight is a lot of misinformation. People get products mixed up in their minds. They don't, they're like, oh, this is this. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. Honestly, it's one of those things that's too good to be true. I mean, everybody says that all the time. They, they tell me all the time, there's no way that can work like that. And I'm like, right. 100%, this, it is one of those things. I mean, you, you're, you, Mr. Harris, you like created the American dream. <laughs> you started out in a garage and now you have a 60,000 square foot, you know, manufacturing facility and you're doing well for yourself. That's pretty, pretty insane. You mentioned something when you were talking about the chemical makeup of it. You said it was pH neutral for all of us non-chemists. Can you explain a little bit on on that? Sure. The pH scale, of course, is, well, is from zero to 14. OK. Zero is acid. Zero is your hydrochloric, your sulfuric, your really bad acids. Yep. And as you go to the 14, that's your alkalines. That's like uh, sodium hydroxide, caustic soda, uh, soaps, um, things that feel slick in your hands. Uh, both Either side, either end of it, very bad for your skin, very bad for your health, very bad. Right. Um, but right in the middle... When you balance it, when it's at seven, that's neutral. That's pure water. That is uh, mm-hmm. things that uh, have no, uh, it's hard to go explain it without going a little way too deep. Uh, but um, free hydrogen is is what an acid is. It, it's hydrogen that's loose. And then okay. the alkaline that is, is things that absorb free hydrogen. So you can take, a very strong acid like hydrochloric acid, and you can mix it with um, sodium hydroxide, which is a very strong base. They will react, and you'll yeah. get salt water, and that's it. I mean, so in the very middle, when it's pH neutral, that means it's not going to attack metals. It's not going to uh, affect your skin. It's not going to uh, cause uh, – not going to react with other things. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a bad way gotcha now is this uh formula held near and dear to your heart and like locked away in a safe that's buried 100 feet underground (laughs) there's 10 foot steel walls in between the outside world yes uh and the secret formula to coca-cola is a little easier to get to than is it wow (laughs) (laughs) wow Uh, so have you ran across anybody well obviously there's other products out there that don't even compare because i I have tried them in the past um have you had that uh rivalry so to speak from these other companies of people trying to figure out what you're doing and how you do it and there's another one of those too good to be true things all the time we get them all the time all the time uh, people try to have tried for years and years and years to knock off that chemistry. But having been a chemist who started off as a chemist knocking off chemicals, which is right. what I did as a kid forever, yeah. as a young man, uh, there are certain things you can do that make it very, very hard to uh, duplicate it. Yeah, duplicate it, deformulate right. it, determine what it is. And, and, you know, some of those are incorporated into it because we knew, I knew that it would be something that people would want to uh, duplicate, knock off. Right. Gotcha. Formulate. Yeah. So can you, can you talk to me about, um, so I, I assume that um, just the standard of Apparatus flagship product, and then you start branching off and making, 
other products to complement it. Um, I know that um, you have um, the Safe Erase, uh, and then you also have the Thermo. Is it Thermo? Uh, Thermo Cure, yeah. Yeah. Um, so when when did when did all that stuff sort of happen? Um, you don't have to give it an exact timeline, but I, I would just assume that you had Evaporust and you're like, we need some other things that kind of go with this to just more of a product offering along the same lines. It's, it's non-toxic. It's, it's non-harm. It's not harmful or anything like that. Right. That's, that's, that is a, our company is founded on reformulating chemistries that have been around a long time. When you go into an auto parts store or you look at the chemicals that are on the shelf, most of those chemistries are very old. They, mm-hmm. are, they, they're the products that people have formulated in the sixties and the fifties. And they, you're talking about like your WD forties, your degreasers and that kind of stuff, those kind of things, people, and, and they go, well, they work, you know, and nobody's in there. People like them. They don't, uh, nobody's genuinely getting hurt with them. And we're not going to mess with them because that's what people like. Mm-hmm. And then there's also a whole nother stream where people have gone and made g- things that are green and they don't work. And, right. And it has given new chemistries a bad name. Uh, a lot of new chemistries people look at and they go, well, I mean, the old stuff, take for instance, like carburetor cleaner or brake cleaner, mm-hmm. those new ones, not very effective. Um, they don't, uh, they don't make the customer happy like the old nasty chemicals work. And, and it's, and it's true. A lot of those are just really good functioning chemicals. They just, uh, happen to be bad for the environment they happen to be bad for your skin they happen to smell terrible they happen to whatever it is you have to know how to use them properly or you mess things up um what my goal was with new chemistry is is to make something that works as least as good as if not better than what's on the market and then it be non-toxic non-corrosive and as environmentally friendly as possible and uh that's what we do and so we don't we haven't gone out and made 40 different new products to put in the line we have yeah i think we probably have five yeah Mm -hmm. but those products are products that uh you know we as a company can be proud of and say you know what this this functions you as well as or better than what's out there on the market and it's safer and toxic and you you don't have to worry about it you know uh, catching on fire fire is one of the bigger ones for me i'm not a big fan of flammable chemicals yeah yeah i agree yeah Yeah. well we have a ton of questions for you we can get into that okay uh, portion of it uh these are again these are viewer and uh listener questions um first i'll just get right to it i'll go down the line as i receive them um a lot of guys listen to us over in the UK and over in Europe, and they ask simply, when will it be available in Europe? Amazon only sells the little half-liter jugs. That's the only thing available to them. Uh, so. We have a bunch of distributors there. Uh, really? Yeah, we do. Um, 
We have them in uh, Sweden, Iceland. Just go on our web. Tell them to go on our website. And go on listed. the website? Yeah, the UK. Okay. Uh, we don't have any in France, and we don't have – we have one in Germany, but we have yeah. three in Spain. I mean, they're everywhere. Okay. okay. I think they were mostly uh, talking about, you know, because everybody buys stuff online now, and I know you guys work closely with Amazon. They were saying there was only one quantity available on Amazon. Yeah. Uh, a lot of our distribution over there is through distributors that sell on Amazon, uh -huh. and I'm not sure why. And it's it, that's probably all they're carrying is the small yeah. one liter jugs. Well, we make for those guys, we make product in a very concentrated form. Uh -huh. and, and then they they re, they dilute it properly and then yeah. bottle it. Mm -hmm. And uh, when they rebottle it, we really don't have a lot of control over what sizes they do. Gotcha. I'll sure. Assume, I assume that that's what they thought would be important for that market but uh it's something it's something we ought to address absolutely yeah i know there's a lot of car restoration guys over there there's a lot of tool guys over there they were kind of asking for bigger bigger quantities where that was available but like you said they can go on the website and find distributors over there um this was asked a lot for some reason i don't know why i'm assuming with rusty joints does it work well as a lubricant in rusty joints not as a lubricant what it does Evaporust is able to penetrate amazingly well into tiny, tight places. In fact, we have a hard time in our manufacturing facility keeping it from leaking out of tanks, keeping it in, controlling it because it is so good at at penetrating things. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. So what it'll do is it'll penetrate into the very, very tightest of places. Eat that rust. And then they'll start moving again. Now, as a lubricant, no, not really. But once you remove all that rust, sure, nothing to hold it in place. Gotcha. Uh, the only thing that you have to like stuck engines. We get a lot of calls for stuck engines. Yeah. Uh, where pistons rusted into a block. And what I tell people is, is as you're doing that, of course, steel is iron and carbon. This is yep. work by absorbing iron, and it leaves that carbon in that crack. And after you build up a certain amount of carbon, it can't get down into there anymore. So every so often, you ought to take a water hose and blast that crack really, really good. Push all that carbon out. And once you've got all the carbon out, then put some more evaporust in and let it start chewing again. Interesting. Okay. Mm. Can you mm. use it on kitchen knives or kitchen utensils? And how do you make sure that it's food safe with no residue left over? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, in fact, this weekend, I did a bunch of cast iron cookware. Okay, uh, and what's the, what's the process for that? After, we, after you evaporust, after the rust is gone, how do you make sure that the, the cookware is food safe? Uh, what I do is I pull it out, rinse it with water really, really well, and then take a, uh, like a Brillo pad and just uh, go around to kind of smooth it out a little bit. But after that, you're good. I mean, I'll, we do kitchen knives, uh, the old Ontario's, the the uh, hickory what are, yep. uh, mm -hmm. high carbon steel ones that are really, really good. Uh, I do all, we do all of ours with them uh, and restore a bunch of them. Um, one thing you will find is wherever it is hardened or wherever it has had been heat treated, it will be darker because sure. yeah. more carbon, that carbon is going to come to the surface. 
So you'll have a little bit of a different color, but it's really easy to get that off of there if you just either buff it or use a metal polish on it. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you'll get you can take it right back to shiny if you want to. So you so talk about on, that. Oh, go ahead. On some of the axes that I pull out, there you can clearly see the the, the temper line and. I, I love that dull gray look, so I can just I just put oil on it and it stays that color. But then also I can put it. I've got a brass wire wheel, and I it takes it off and it puts this beautiful luster on the head that I could never have achieved before that. And Ooh. every time I every time I look at it, I'm just like, holy shit, this is freaking awesome! I'm like seriously. <laughs> Yeah, I, you talked I, about the carbon coming to the surface. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because guys have it mixed up with um, it, in the in the metalworking world, in the blacksmithing world, we're using a lot of ferric chloride to etch surfaces on, say, Damascus steel or hammers and stuff like that. We've noticed that using your product, using Evaporust, it is uh, showing the hardened steel, just like Roy was talking about with the axes. What is what is creating that, or it's not etching because it's not an acid, correct? Right. So what is what is making it do that? That I mean, you don't have to get into the chemical breakdown of what's making it do that. Just kind of give us the the layman's the layman's terms of what's what's making it do that. That's not an acid. It's a term called carbon migration. So okay. you 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 know, and that it's iron and it's carbon, and the amount of carbon varies according to you know, what metal you're working with and the structure of the metal, how the metal is put, you know, how, what structure the steel is in, in the uh, metal. Is it, you know, austenic? Is it the various kinds there? Yeah. Some of it is easier for the carbon to come to the surface. Uh, You know, carbon is going to be soluble in water, so it's going to want to come out. Right. In certain certain metals, it's going to undergo what's called carbon migration, where the carbon comes to the surface, and that's why when you see the dark Mm -hmm. lines is the gray. Yeah. So for everybody that's misunderstanding, it's not actually etching the material and showing the darkness of the or the dissimilar metals. It's actually bringing the carbon to the surface. That's what evaporust is doing, right? Right. Carbon migration, right? And it doesn't take. I mean, it's a tiny bit of carbon. Yeah needed to do that it's not but, like it's sucking carbon out of the middle of your axe or your knife. Yeah, yeah yeah i think a lot of people have that uh you know they associate um when they see uh discoloration or dissimilar metals they associate it with ferric chloride you know etching and acids mm-hmm. and stuff like that yeah so um they want to know how big the evaporust tank is at the facility like how <laughs> big of a tank do you guys have the really big one yeah um the I've really heard rumors big. that you guys can dunk an entire car. Is that true? That is true. We no kidding. Uh, <laughs> oh, my goodness. I have a tank back there right now that is 20 feet long, 7 feet tall, and 7 feet wide. And oh, my it's goodness. And it's the very top, 8,600. Wow. And, no uh, kidding. In fact, the forklift for dunking the car. Hey, I saw wow. down at the other plant. So it's, it's here. We're going to dunk entire cars. Wow. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's crazy. So whose idea was this? Because this kind of sounds, um, I mean, just like a, a fun, silly little idea. But, like, there's a lot of build and preparation that goes into making a massive tank like this. Just the logistics of it. I mean, was it, did you start this off as, like, kind of a joke? Well, yeah, I'm going to dunk a whole freaking car. Or No, actually, we had people ask. We 
for years we've had people say, hey, if I could dunk my whole car in there. Oh, my gosh. And quite, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, you've, you've got your grandfather's Plymouth sitting out. Yep. And you're like, I want mm-hmm. this thing. The main thing that stops people from restoring a car is they, they get all excited. They drag it in. They open up and they pull the, the door panel off and they look inside and the, and the door wind wells are full of rust. And they go, well, now what do I do? Yeah. And it, then it sits there for 18 years and their kids trash it. Yeah. And this, you're going to dunk, we're going to dunk the whole thing, let it sit in there for 24 hours, pull it out. We're going to pressure wash it. It's going to be completely rust free. Wow. So, so whenever I, I assume that if someone wants that, you all provide that service. Like yeah. you have to bring and 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 at what what state does the vehicle have to be in for you guys to put it in your all's tank? Does it need like all the interior out, the motor out? Like like what? Where do you where does it need to be prepped to go in? We really don't care. If you, whatever you don't want. To do. <laughs> there you go. We'll dunk it. <laughs> if you don't want to get it wet, don't put it in. Don't leave it in there. There you go. Yeah, I come from the automotive, uh, auto body industry for the last 18 years. That's what I did prior to getting into this. There'd be so many times I wish that I could have dunked an old Chevy truck or something and gotten rid of everything instead of, you know, media blasting and cutting out panels and trying to figure out where the rust starts and stops. And yeah, I could see where that would be a huge service to people. They do that type of thing now with acids and, uh, of course, then there's media blasting and, and the the thing that a baffle rust is going to do other than that is other than a being less expensive, it's going to be, we get guys because a lot of our business is car restoration. I mean, we do, mm-hmm. right. It's we're, we're big in that, in that area. Uh, a lot of guys go, well, when I get it media blasted, then we paint it and then freaking media comes out of a weld or something. Yep. That's sure. A paint. Or acid comes out of the cracks, the, you know, the, the acid dip, and some it used to be big. Now it's kind of because of the EPA, it's kind of gone away. Yeah, it's like phased out. Yeah, phased out. But there's still a few around that do it. But when you do it, if you don't get every bit of that acid out of the welds, out of underneath, uh, you know, little little cracks and crevices, it seeps back out and it screws your paint up. And yep. Mm-hmm. They're not happy when their paint gets screwed up. <laughs> no, they're not. Yeah. So, so you could take a car that's already painted, you know, a twenty-year-old car that's painted and rusty and whatever, and it doesn't affect the current paint. Like, you don't have to go into all that, but to me, that's like next-level mind-blown kind of stuff because it only eats the rust and it still retains the paint. How in the hell did you all pull that off? Well, it just does. I mean, it's just the. Uh, it just does it. It just does it. I mean, that's, that's just. It, it's not a. You know, it, it's not a, attacking. It, this product works by absorbing iron, and as long as your paint is not iron based, I mean, some of the old paints that are red, it will go after because they had iron oxide in them. Right. Uh, to try to give it that red color, but uh, most paints, it just. It has no effect whatsoever. That, that I mean, seriously, that's what's amazing to me. You can pull out something in the in. Well, I um, I did a hay trolley from early 1900s, and it still had the paint on it, and it removed all the rust. And I was just like, oh my, oh my God, I'm I'm totally sold on this because, <laughs> and I and I looked in the catalogs, and sure enough, the 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 piece that I was working on had blue and gold paint on it, and whenever I pulled it out. 
I was like, well, this is a, this is original. I mean, he just, I don't know. It was, yeah, I like magic. When it does that, I like to clear coat it and just leave the original paint on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I yeah. think it's cool. So here's the number one question that everybody asks right, because of the go. audience that I have. What about forging scale? I know Natasha asked you about it like last week or something. She said you gave her some chemical long answer that nobody would understand but yourself. So we've, <laughs> we've been practicing. We've been doing trial and errors in my yeah. shop. We've been taking stuff right out of the forge and putting it into evaporus. And so it's kind of hit and miss. Sometimes we'll pull stuff out and the forging scale will be completely gone. And for anybody that's listening that doesn't know, forging scale is more or less just super rust, super hard rust. Um, but yeah, the forging scale is a big one. I think you guys would hit a whole another audience that wasn't even looking at this product if we figured out exactly because right now guys are using acids they're using vinegars they're they're using media blasting to get rid of forging scale what is what is the answer with forging scale well when you did your test you said you got hit and miss what was the what was the so we took what did you find to be the difference between a hit and a miss one was completely all the forging scale was off and the other one still had remnants of forging scale on it. Did it take some of it off? Took some of it off. Yeah. Okay. I think the big thing is that that everybody, you know, they want to complete, it's like take a hammerhead for instance, because hammer, hammer forging is very prominent right now in the blacksmithing world. And guys are using vinegar and media blasting to remove the scale. Um, But this product, if we could nail down why, why it does sometimes and why it doesn't other times, I think that would be a huge thing for for a lot of guys. Well, my understanding, of course, you know, I come from an industrial background, so you, right. you've got uh, welding, you know, uh, head, welding slag, you've got all different kinds of that are remnants after you don't want to. And a lot of that is not iron. You know, you've got a lot of carbon in some of it. Yes. And it's, I would imagine the difference would be the fact of the carbon content of the metal that you're working on. If you've got okay. a high carbon steel, I would think that when you got through whatever you, whatever your residue was, would have enough carbon that you would have a carbon, because evapor rust will suck every bit of the iron out, but it, it won't touch carbon. It gotcha. It will not have anything to do with carbon. Okay. Uh, and if you're doing, you know, a, a low carbon steel, I would think that you would get mostly have mostly iron there that evaporust could remove. Uh, and then also, you know, there's we get a lot of uh, people calling up and saying, "Hey, I dipped my part, nothing happened. What's yeah. going on?" And a lot of times, people are we get them a lot out of the uh, metal detecting. Uh, mm-hmm. Because iron and steel, I mean, they're they're elements. I mean, they're they exist in nature, and everything that man does to the iron is to bring it to a state that's away from nature. And once you return it back to the ground, it's trying to go back to nature. So it's trying to become iron ore. And right. There's a lot okay. of different iron ores. There's you know there's magnetite, goethite. There's um hematite there's uh pyrites and it depends on what their environment is as to what they will become do they have this this metal this mineral in there with them do they have a lot of water do they only have a little bit of oxygen do they have a lot of oxygen and that will change what a rusty part is 
as it rusts. Um, one of the most common one is magnetite, which is black rust. Once something is sealed and it doesn't have any uh, oxygen except a little bit of water, it'll start forming this black rust called magnetite. And you can de-rust something and usually it's underneath red rust. Uh, and all of those different types of rust react differently to evaporust. Regular good old-fashioned iron oxide evaporust rips. Uh, the further you get away from that, the more iron oxide, I mean, iron ore you get, the slower it goes. Uh, we had guys Interesting. trying to use it to clean up uh, uh, quartz crystals because they dig them out, and generally they're found around iron, and uh, they would be, and and meteors. They, they wanted to clean up meteors with yeah. iron-based meteors. It didn't do much for either one of them. Because right. it's not really iron. It was red looking and to the eye. You think, well, that's rust. But it's really an iron ore that is not an oxide. It's it's a, a com combination of different uh, elements and right. a little bit of iron. So gotcha. It, that's what really, uh, it makes it difficult to, when you've got an older piece especially, to... Mm -hmm. And go, oh, this is obviously rusted. Well, it may be rusted, but it may not be rust. Right. Huh. I had what no about idea. galvanic corrosion? Galvanic corrosion depends on what's corroded. Uh, you know, when you've got a galvanic corrosion, you've got two dissimilar metals beside each other. Yep. And a source of, of oxygen or a source of, of water, basically, some sort of moisture. Uh, and depending on which way the current runs, one thing's oxidizing and the other one's not. Exactly. Yep. Uh, and it depends on what metal, what two dissimilar metals are together. Is it iron and aluminum? Is it iron yeah. and zinc? Is it iron and, I mean, what's the other metal? Uh, yeah. So for this case, I believe he was talking about iron and um, aluminum. Uh, typically, aluminum is white. Uh, aluminum oxide's white, and if yep. it's aluminum oxide, vapor rust will not touch it. Will All not. right, there you go. Won't have a thing to do with it. We do Can make you, a product that'll remove it, though. I mean, it's safe, but it's it has to be heated. But interesting. Yeah. Speaking of heat, we we know that vapor rust doesn't work uh, below room temperature, which is generally 70 degrees Fahrenheit. I got a lot of questions about can you heat this stuff up and is it safe to heat up? Absolutely. Absolutely safe. It doesn't not work below 70. It just slows way. Yeah, way. it's very slow. Yeah. 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 You can use it at, at 50 degrees. It just, you, know, you just don't want to do anything for a long time. I mean, it's, it's going to take a while. Okay. Um, but you can heat it up. I typically, what we tell in, industrially is we say, about 120 is where you start to have to put more energy in than the time that you save is worth. Okay. Mm -hmm. Keep yeah. it that hot. So 120 is, you know, for for a home use guy, we tell people just take it, put it in a, if it's small, put it in the microwave, get it hot, use it. I mean, and it'll work oh. a lot faster, huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's faster. Okay. Or, and if you've got a uh, an ultrasonic, one of those, uh, you know, go down to Harbor Freight or somewhere and get one of those ultrasonics, man, they, they really speed it up. Okay. Okay. Mm. 
So uh, talking about freezing and thawing, uh, we had a question that said, uh, we know it's a water-based formula. Once it freezes um, and we thaw it out, will it still work? Absolutely. Interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. This, this had, just keeps getting no, better and seriously, better. Like, it's it's yeah. a whole like magic thing. I don't, geez yeah. Louise. I'll, so, I'll tell you this. We had, uh, we had an industrial company back in 2005 that was using a huge tank. And when they got done, they didn't use all. They used it some, but they didn't use for one project. And uh, when they got done, we we told them, you know, here's how you dispose of it. And they go, we we're scared to dispose of it. Uh, can we just send it back to you? And I said, yeah, you paid the freight. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> they, so they did. They shipped it back to us, and it set outside because always it had a lot of life left in it. And I always thought, you know, I'm gonna do something with that. And uh, it sat out there for 15 years. Oh, my goodness. Froze, thawed, froze, thawed every winter, every spring. Um, and we pulled it out. And in this big tank that we've got back here, that was some of the first we, we put in there. We tested it. It worked great. Wow. Jeez Had Louise. Partially used and frozen and thawed hundreds of times. And work, work, and it's, it's in that tank right now. It works like a charm. Interesting. So, so the question I get asked most frequently, um, how many axes can I put in there and, or, and how long is the stuff going to last? So I know, I know it's almost impossible to answer the question because each piece is individual, but that's the question I get asked the most. Well, I can tell you exactly. Uh, what? <laughs> Evaporust <laughs> works by absorbing iron, right? Mm-hmm. It, one gallon of evaporust will absorb exactly, at room temperature, 226 grams of rust, dry rust per gallon. Now, wow. you, okay. that's right at half a pound. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So that's a lot of rust, right? Okay. For one gallon, you said. One gallon, 226 wow. grams of, of dry rust. Okay. But there's a lot of things that people don't do to a gallon that will cause it to have a shorter life number one they'll put it out in a tub and leave the lid off of it okay uh evaporus chemical does not evaporate you can you can it'll go right down to a yellow goo it's like oh, it's about like honey or even yeah water, even harder but you can actually add hot water back to that stuff and stir it up and it'll go right back to working it has water is the carrier Water has to be at a certain uh, ratio for this product to work its very best. So it's we make it here with the amount of water it should have in it. Right. So you put a tank out, what you should do is mark the water level. And you come back in three or four days and it's down an inch, add an inch worth of water back to it. Stir it up and it go and now it's at peak performance again. So it's not the evaporus that's evaporating, it's the water. It's the carrier, which is water. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, nothing in that will, nothing in that jug that is useful for removing rust will evaporate. Interesting. What? Can so, you mix uh, old evaporust with new evaporust? That was another question. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. It just doesn't, uh, I mean, it's going to absorb, think about it like tea. Uh, uh-huh. I'm from the South. Tea yep. is, a, is, a, is, a, is a good analogy for everything here. So if you've got hot tea, and you put in sugar, it absorbs it real quick, right? So yep. if you want it to absorb more, heat it up. 
at room temperature, it'll absorb a certain amount of sugar. But once you get past that, it won't. Now, if you add more tea to it, now it's going to absorb the rest of that sugar. Ah, okay. It only absorbs a certain amount, and when it's done, it's done. It can't hold any more unless gotcha. you temp- at, at that temperature. You bring the temperature up, yes, it can absorb more. But as soon as it cools off, it'll come back out. Okay. So, so how did you get a specific weight of the rust? I assume that you take the bucket, you put it on, you dump it out with a super, super fine screen to, to actually capture the, the rust particles, to, to be able to quantify and say it's this much rust per gallon. How did you do that? You take a whole bunch of what I think we used uh, nails, a bunch mm-hmm. of that were rusty, and you weigh them. You dry them, you dry them, you dry them, and you weigh them. Then you drop them in a rust. You let them sit for two or three days. You stir it up. You stir it up. Pull them. Then you pull the nails out, and, and you put enough in there that it can't absorb all of it. So it's, they've still got a little bit of rust on them. You pull them out. You rinse them really well. You dry them, and then you reweigh them, and you see how much they lost. Wow. Hmm. You do that five or six times until you get an average, and then you go, all right, we're right at 226 grams per gallon. There's your chemistry. Mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Roy's scratching his head. Uh, talking about disposal, uh, what is the best way to dispose of the spent um, evaporust? So when it's done, it's no longer working. What's the best way to get rid of it? My favorite is to use it as a fertilizer. Really? Uh, yeah. You ever heard of ironite or liquid iron fertilizer? No. Uh, well, for greening, it's a greening agent for grass. You are using okay. around plants. It makes flowers much more intense. Iron is a is a micronutrient for uh, a lot of and and basically you just took rust that you didn't want and you built ironite or liquid iron fertilizer. And you're going to put it back hmm. into the ground. Yeah, you take that stuff and and uh, that's spent and dilute it with water and spray it around on your on your grass, your wife's flowers, and boom, they're beautiful. What? Interesting. So when you say biodegradable, you really mean biodegradable. Oh, yeah. It's it's reusable. In fact, uh, part of what we're looking at with this big tank is, is when it's finally spent uh, using it on golf courses because they pay big bucks to have iron treatments done to their... Interesting, yeah. That emerald green look when you see a golf course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's iron for you. Ah, okay. Why evaporust over vinegar? Uh, vinegar is 5% acetic acid. Uh, it is just, it's just an acid. It's yeah, really said. there you go. It's and just, evaporust isn't an acid. Yeah. And well, I mean, you think about it, evaporust, you can put a mixed metal part into, you can put like, you got a carburetor, you got yeah. metal, that kind of stuff. You just toss it in evaporust. It eats what's rusty and leaves the rest of it alone. You put something like that or a pocket knife in a vinegar. Mm-hmm. And there's no telling what's going to happen. I mean, it, it, it may eat the uh, uh, mechanical parts of it. It may eat the, the, the sides of it. Um, it's And it takes longer. And really, honestly, people say, well, it's cheaper. But it's really not. Yeah. You get one use out of it, out of vinegar. Right. Mm-hmm. 
if you measure how much, I mean, I know vinegar is cheap. It's a 20th the price of a, ga a gallon of vinegar, maybe 20, 20 to 1 per price to evaporus. Mm -hmm. Get more uses out of that, out of evaporus than you are out of vinegar. And your wife's not going to complain you smell like pickles. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you, you also have to neutralize it after it comes out of out of the uh, vinegar. Sure. Um, I've had early on because that's what all the axe nerves did. No, you just put it in some vinegar. It's cheap and it's easy. It cleans it off. Yeah. And I didn't know that you had I, I didn't know that you had to neutralize it. So the, like the first time I did it, I pull it out, rinse it off and it just starts rusting all over. And I'm like, what, what the hell? Like, I just wasted all this freaking time. Um, and again, um, the stamps and the etches, they wash out really bad and it depends like if there's a whole bunch of rust right in the stamps, um, they get, they get really washed out. There, there have been so many heads that I've pulled out of evaporous that I thought were unmarked and I pull them out and they got stamps on them. <laughs> um, they, that would not happen with vinegar. Yeah. yeah that's awesome. That is crazy. Yeah. Speaking of price point, um, I believe we broke Amazon this week because you guys were selling <laughs> one gallon jugs. I think we're between 13 and 15 bucks. Oh and, uh, yeah. 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 So anybody that says this stuff's expensive, you're wrong because right now they're running some crazy specials on them where it was actually relatively inexpensive. They missed, so. they missed a good week. Actually, it's still there. I looked at it this morning, but uh, they keep selling out. So yeah. <laughs> how, how long is that deal going on for? Do we know? I have no idea. I didn't know they were going to do it, and I don't know when they're going to do it. <laughs> That's crazy. So I've got two questions for you. So uh, how did you come up with the name? So if you're saying that it doesn't evaporate, the, the solution itself doesn't evaporate, how did you come up with the name Evaporust? Well, it wasn't the original name. The original name was Corban. And Ev Evaporust is way better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, it wasn't already trademarked, so that. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. There you go. But so then we went to you know what? It, because someone said it looks like the rust just evaporates, and we were mm -hmm. like, okay, we're gonna evaporate rust stuff. Hmm. And you know, to me, if you've got a name that, you know, if you call if you'd called this Rust Solution X14, that's so generic. Nobody. Right. Nobody yeah. Would, after a while but people don't forget evapor rust that's uh that's a yeah it's an unusual name so speaking of unusual names in 1993 you made a product called sticky wicket wicker whacker whacker <laughs> Waxer. yeah oh what is that what is sticky wicket wicker waxer <laughs> what well, did that do <laughs> i was out in, I, when i was in california a guy uh a sales guy came in and said hey this guy sells all this wicker furniture and he puts it on display out in his driveway and uh, the sun bleaches it all out. So we need like a UV protection spray that also makes it shine. And so I put one together for him and uh, they loved it, man. They sprayed it all over their wick, but, and I had to give it a name. I always got the name. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> That's crazy. Like, good God, really? Yeah. The good thing. <laughs> Good thing we uh, evaporust wasn't the uh, sticky wicket wicker waxer. <laughs> Speaking of uh, aerosol and spray, you guys also sell the product. A lot of times people ask me, what do we do after it's been in the evaporust? It comes out, it's nice and clean. What do we do after that? Uh, well, pull it out. And if you're going to do something with it permanently, like paint it, it's yeah. time to 
you know, go ahead and paint it. Uh, if you're not, let's say you're going to paint, you've got a 300 parts, you're cleaning them up, and you're going to paint them next Tuesday, mm-hmm. and you don't want them to rust. Well, then you got to put a, a rust inhibitor on them, right? Right. Uh, most of your, in fact, almost all your rust inhibitors are oil-based. So let's say you spray them down with oil. Some of them have waxes. Some of them have paraffin. Some of them have lanolin in them. You put that on there, and then when you get ready to paint, what are you going to do? You got to get it off there. So you got to use a solvent, and you mm-hmm. got to get that off. So now you got to go get a solvent. Solve. Make sure you get all of it off. Well, you never get all of it off. Right. The lanolin ones. And then you paint them, and then in six months, your paint's peeling because uh, you didn't, didn't get adhesion between your paint and your metal. With our product, it's called Rust Block. We make it in a spray and an aerosol, same chemical, just different application. Um, spray it on there. Let it. It's water-based. Let it dry. When it dries on there, it puts a film on there. You can't, you can't even really feel it. It just... It's you can tell it's a little bit tackier than normal, but I mean, really, you wouldn't notice it if you didn't know it was on there. Uh, that'll keep that part from rusting indoors for about a year. But when you get ready to go painting these, instead of having to go through all that trouble, you rinse them with water, dry them, paint them. You get great adhesion. So while you so, keep going back to the water, water seems to be the way to clean all these parts when they're when they come out of the evaporus, when you put the rust block on them and you're ready to go, you always scrub them down with water. Right. I mean, it's a very inexpensive solvent. Yeah. The universal solvent as it's known to chemists. Uh, so so was this so was rust block going all the way back to when you were starting off whenever you had the the strips, you were trying to find something that actually blocked the rust. So is this kind of that product that you were looking for way back in the day? Uh, it is. It's a different. I mean, it's totally different. It was. This was developed probably five years later mm-hmm. uh, for this particular usage. Um, <clears throat> I, we don't. I don't like using uh, solvents, aliphatic solvents, you know, oils. Um, not a big fan of them. They sure. They. Uh, I mean, some things you just can't get away from doing it, but if right. it's water, it's, to me, it's a lot better. Um, and it seems odd, and a lot of people go, well, I'm not rinsing my parts in water. It's just going to make it rust again. Yeah. It really does. It really does. As long as you just dry them right afterwards, you're okay. I mean, don't leave them wet laying around for days. Yeah. But uh, what really we see as far as people, because we get occasionally people go, well, it flash rusted, blah, blah, blah. And and uh, what happens is when you're de-rusting with rust, you've got a process going. So you've got innumerable little bitty bits of rust picking up little pieces of iron off that surface constantly. They're just grabbing it and pulling it away, pulling it away. And when you pull that part out, you stop that process in mid-process. So mm-hmm. you've got evaporust with unattached iron laying on the surface, lots of right. it. If you don't rinse that, that's just laying there. Evaporust will degrade and leave that iron unattached. So what's it going to attach to? Oxygen. Yep. When it attaches to oxygen, then you see rust. That's your flash rust. So what you do is pull it out and rinse it with water. All that's left on there is iron that's actually attached to the part. And when that happens, 
it is very slow to reattach to oxygen because it's already got it's already got a dance partner. It's not gonna it's not sitting out there looking for somebody to to go home with. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> Mr. Harris, this was an interesting journey through the the way this was created. It's very inspiring story how you started out in your garage and, you know, putting paper labels on the side of stuff and shipping it off to farmers. Did you ever find out what the farmers were using it for? Uh, I know. Honestly, tractor parts, this engines, something like that. Well, we sell through tractor supply and some of these other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Farm farm guys have a lot of use for rust removal. Absolutely. So one of the themes that kind of keeps coming up on this show, talking to different makers with all sorts of different backgrounds, and your story is no different. Like there have been a series of failures and roadblocks and people saying no, 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 no. And then however or whatever happens, they overcome this adversity and then you end up like Chris Cash making metal parts (laughs) or whatever. (laughs) And and you're actually successful. And people that think that this shit happens overnight, they are so, so sorely wrong. It happens easy. Nothing happens quickly. And it just takes tenacity. And thank God that you you just continued to push ahead because now we have a product that saves other products. It's, a, it's, a, it's just – And it works. And it works. It yeah. works. That's the biggest thing. It works. The value of hard-headedness. That's yeah. <laughs> very good. Well, thank you. Thank you very, very much for coming thank you. on the show. Welcome. Uh, Thanks for having me. Much I enjoyed it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, the ringmaster of the circus, the captain of the pirate ship, Mr. Harris from Evaporus. That's <laughs> 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 what he referred to himself as. Actually. <laughs> All right, so uh, if you guys go to Amazon, you can use the code 25AXIRON, and it'll save you some moolah on some Evaporus. Go out there and buy Evaporus. We all love it. You guys know we talk about it all the time. It's an incredible, incredible product. Uh, Again, Mr. Harris, thank you very much. Thank you. We appreciate your time. I'm Chris from Mount Phillip Metalworks, joined by Roy Scott. This is the Axe and Iron Podcast, signing off.